as the, uh, as the kids uh, go, I'm going to play a small little clip of a song that may set the stage for the message this morning. And I'm going to have to do it through this because we weren't able to connect it back in the back. But this kind of sets the stage. I hope you can hear it well through the mic. That will cut off. It's not cutting off. That's okay. There we go. So that is from Queen, the rock band Queen. You know, I want it all. I want it all, and I want it now. Um, this is the culture that we live in. We are saturated with greed from our television shows, uh, American Greed, American Greed, Deadly Rich, where people actually kill over uh, their greed. Uh, to shows like uh, Million Dollar Listing Selling L.A., Selling New York. You have Secret Lives as a Super Rich. We are saturated with greed, be it from t TV, from sports, from Madison Avenue, marketing, and really the, uh, the, the triune god of our day and age is uh, power, prestige, and privilege. And how can we get those three and more of it? Uh, Greed basically is just an insatiable desire for more. Uh, it, and it could be more of anything. It could be more food. It could be more time, or you're greedy over your time. You don't want to share it with others. It could be, um, you know, it, it covers everything. So uh, don't just necessarily think about greed in the form of money. Um, but anyway, I'm going to begin with a little poem that I found that I thought really sums up. And then I'm going to read a passage out of Haggai. Then we're going to look at a little bit of greed that is strung throughout all of Scripture. And then after that, we're going to primarily focus in on uh, two other passages out of the Gospel of Luke, which will be the main text. But we will cover a lot of Scripture this morning. So hopefully I can uh, speak fast and get, get through it all. So the poem begins, it's by Erwin Mercer. When we were born with no possession, the love received was our concession. No worries, no fears, no troubles, no fuss. In mother's arms we put our trust. But as we grew, we looked and craved, and all too soon became enslaved. The more we saw, the more we wanted. Our quest for more became undaunted. Our thirst for more could not be quenched. The more we grasped, the tighter we clenched. We scampered and gathered and gathered to hoard. Possessions became our master and our lord. And when we're old with our treasures all heaped, a sad example of what greed has reaped, our fist still clenched in a grasping motion till at our death when our hands are opened." So that's just kind of the progression from birth to death and how at the very beginning we're just, you know, love is enough. And at the end, until death gets us, um, we're trying to hold on to everything. Um, Haggai, uh, in Haggai uh, 1, 3 through 7, it says, Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains in ruin? Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but have harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. 
You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages, only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. So I would like to just begin with that challenge uh, for all of us, to give careful thought to our ways. Tim Keller is a... um, no relation, has been pointed out in the email, is a uh, pastor up in New York City, and he said over 30 years of him preaching and being in the ministry, he's never had one person ever come to confess the sin of greed. Uh, he's never, he said, you know, nobody ever says, Pastor, I, I spend too much money on myself, or I spend too much money on my children. Uh, I have a problem with greed. Um, he says that greed is one of the only sins that blinds you when you're actually committing it, unlike, say, the sin of adultery. You don't just wake up with somebody else's spouse and say, oh, this is adultery. You know you're committing adultery when you are in the act of it, or the act of stealing, or the act of murder. You know what you're doing, but you don't always know when you are being greedy, when you're committing greed, because it kind of just slips in like a... Um, like a cancer, like a virus. I mean, it's, it's, it's deadly, uh, as we've seen. But through, the, um, through looking about this through Scripture, I just wanted to see if there was a thread of greed throughout the Scripture. And so I went through all 66 books of the Bible, New Testament and Old Testament, and I'm going to go through all 66 books in a, in a quick nutshell, as fast as I can run through this list, to just show the thread of greed throughout Scripture. In Genesis, you have Adam and Eve, and they were greedy for that one thing that they were told not to eat, and they took of it. In Exodus, the Israelites were greedy for the false good and they, or false god, and they made the golden calf. In Leviticus, we are told not to be greedy by leaving extra crops on the fields for the, uh, the poor and the aliens so that they could go take. Uh, in Numbers, Balaam was greedy to speak prophecy for money. He was blinded by his own greed. In Deuteronomy... Uh, we were warned about uh, being, once we're well-fed and once we have everything that, uh, and are living in our homes and satisfied, God warns us, don't become prideful. Don't think your hand has produced all this wealth. In Joshua, Achan was greedy and stole a beautiful robe, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold. He was stoned to death. In uh, judges. Micah steals money from his mother and builds a shrine for idol worship. In Ruth, we have the example of a generous man in Boaz. It's like one of the only books of the Bible, there's only a couple of them, where there's not really uh, anything pertaining specifically to greed. In First Samuel, we're told, uh, do not turn away after useless idols. They can do you no good, nor can they rescue you because they are useless. In Second Samuel, King David sins greatly by counting his, his men. In other words, he's, his heart is becoming prideful. It's kind of like when you look at your stock portfolio and you count how much money you have, and you say, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm good. Um, in First Kings, uh, uh, Solomon's heart uh, it, it turns to greed for many women and their gods. In uh, Second Kings, uh, the people followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. In Chronicles, David uh, acknowledges that, um, that wealth comes from the Lord, which is a great thing. Um, in Second Chronicles, Uzziah's greed for power led to pride, which brought us downfall. In Ezra, we have a, a story where the people of God are being generous with their money and their food and their drink as they help rebuild the temple. Um, in Nehemiah, they were uh, guilty for... Uh, uh, charging too much interest, being like loan sharks. Uh, 
in uh, uh, Esther, uh, Haman boasts about his great wealth and position and uh, finally uh, falls. In Job, we have a man of God uh, who stays faithful uh, when he has a lot and when everything is removed from him. So that, that's uh, a good story. Uh, in Psalms, uh, it tells us, For the wicked boast of their heart's desires, he blesses the greedy and renounces the Lord. Proverbs uh, one nineteen says, So are the ways of everyone who is greedy for gain. It takes away the life of the owner. In Proverbs 15.27, The greedy bring ruin to their households, but the one who hates brides will live. In Proverbs 21.26, He covets greedily all day long, but the righteous gives and does not spare. In Ecclesiastics, we are told, uh, whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. In the Song of Songs, uh, we are told that uh, if you give wealth for love, it's a, it's a great tragedy. In uh, Isaiah, God is enraged with the sinful greed of his people. In Jeremiah, from the least to the greatest, all are greedy for gain, prophets and priests alike. In Lamentations, we are called to examine our ways and, um, and return to the Lord in Ezekiel. Uh, Ezekiel 16, 49, it's about the sin of Sodom. And it says that she and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and the needy. In other words, their life was a life of greed. In Daniel, we have Daniel and his friends. Here's another good glimmer of hope in the Old Testament. You know, they deny themselves the wealth of the food of the king's table and, and the wine and the riches and as a result, uh, God blessed them greatly for that. In Hosea, we see that when um, God provides for his people, they become satisfied. When they become satisfied, they become proud. And when they become proud, they forget about the Lord. And they start living idolatrous and greedy lives. In Joel, we are told to rend our hearts, not our garments. God want, um, In Amos, there is a great wealth and great greed. And God says that he will tear down the winter houses and the summer houses and those who are living in luxury mansions. And what's interesting is the word luxury has the same root in Latin for lust, lust and luxury. And when you think about marketing and how we're bombarded with images, um, they, they go hand in hand. So where was I? So then Obadiah, the pride of the hearts, have deceived them with their wealthy lifestyles. In Jonah, we are told, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. And Micah tells us that their leaders judge for a bribe. Their priests teach for a price. And they tell fortunes, uh, prophets tell fortunes for money. In Nahum, we are told of Nineveh's judgment with silver and gold will be plundered. In Habakkuk, wealth is treacherous. The arrogant are never at rest. And in their greed, they have gathered up uh, many nations. In Zephaniah, their wealth will be plundered. Their house is demolished. In um, Haggai, it says, what I, you, know, you have expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you, what you did, the Lord says he's going to destroy. In Zechariah, uh, leaders here again are governed by greed rather than God's way. In Malachi, we are told that we are robbing God in tithes and offerings. Uh, then Matthew the New Testament. We get on the scene quickly, and Jesus tells us not to store up treasures in, uh, on earth, but rather in heaven. And you cannot serve both God and money. And wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And Mark, what good is a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? And Luke, Jesus says, watch out. Be on guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. In John, we are told of Jews, Judas complaining 
over the expensive perfume that Mary is anointing Christ with because he acted like he was caring for the poor because that perfume would have been the same amount of income as a whole salary for a full year. Uh, In Acts, we have the story of Ananias and Sapphira who have property. They sell it. They give the money to uh, the apostles' feet to give to the poor, but they lied about it, and God struck them dead. In Romans, we're told to let no debt remain outstanding except the continual debt to love one another. 1 Corinthians, Paul tells us that the greedy will not inherit the kingdom of God. In 2 Corinthians, we are told that God loves cheerful giver, which is kind of opposite of being greedy. Amen? Galatians, uh, we are told to... um, to not use our freedom to uh, indulge the sinful nature, but rather to serve one another in love. In Ephesians, we are told that greed is improper for God's holy people and that there must not even be a hint of it in your life. In Philippians, we are told not to do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. And Paul then goes on to say, I know what it's like to live in a little. I know what it's like to have a lot. I've learned the secret of being content. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Uh, In Colossians, Paul tells us to put to death greed, which is idolatry. In Thessalonians 1, Paul says he never put on a mask to cover up greed. Second Thessalonians, Paul works night and day so that he wouldn't be a burden to anyone. So it goes on and goes on and goes on. I will spare you all from the rest. But, but the, the, the fact is, I could go through all 66 books, and greed is all over the place. Greed begins with, as young little children. You know, think about if you have little girls are taught to have, what? A dog collection. Little boys are taught to have a baseball card collection. And what is collecting? Collecting is that desire to have more and more and more. As you get older, you might be greedy with your space. You don't want to share a bedroom with your sibling or a bathroom. Um, Or you realize that, hey, I could have a purse collection or I could have a shoe collection. And then you get even older in life and you may make more money and you realize, you know, I could have a car collection. Um, I could have, I'm guilty, you know, I've I've been greedy in my life. Uh, I I like art. I have an art collection. And it's something you got to think about, pray about, and say, okay, Lord, is this getting out of hand or not? And where is that check and where is that balance? Because we are told to watch out on it. So greed, it comes along slowly. Um, And really, there's three ways it manifests itself, and I'm sure it manifests itself in more than three. But the, the three common is, number one, just selfishness. Um, Rather than sharing, we're selfish. Number two, in self-exaltation. So in other words, it's I want more because I'm either for my own ego, my own pride. Uh, I want to exalt myself uh, compared to my friends, compared to these people over here. And number three, it comes in the form of self-identity in the sense that, you know, I'm not buying this car to get from point A to point B. I'm buying this car because this says who I am. And so we end up spending more money on what we identify with, whether it's, you know, fashion brands or or whatever it is, um, living in one particular neighborhood versus another. And no matter where you are economically, uh, 
you know, the greed scale constantly changes, and that's a big problem, too, because then we end up comparing ourselves with other people, and we either look down upon these people because they don't have as much, or we think, well, we're not greedy because they're really rich, and they have more than us, where they spend more. And when we do that, we are making judgments, which God clearly tells us not to, and we're looking solely at the exterior, and we have no idea what's going on in the hearts and the lives of others. Um, the, Dave uh, Ramsey, he tells a story where a gentleman had given over $500 million anonymously in one year to a whole bunch of different Christian ministries and charities, and at the end of the year, he decided to buy an automobile. And as a result of that, guess who started throwing all the stones? People in his church. Do you know he bought a $150,000 car? How dare he? If he would have got a less expensive car, he could have given all that money to the poor. He could have helped others. And so greed, you know, if, you, if that kind of conversation comes up in your own thought process, you might have a problem with greed. Um, if you see yourself comparing or throwing verbal stones at other people, um, we might have a real issue. So I wanted to turn specifically today to look at Luke uh, chapter 18 and chapter 19. We have two stories of two different men. Uh, one is the, the story um, of, the, of the rich young ruler, and the other is the story of Zacchaeus. And I'm going to be reading out of uh, the NIV translation. So, uh, verse 18 of Luke 18, beginning in 18. A certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was a man of great wealth. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Then in Luke 19... Verse 1, the story of Zacchaeus. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree uh, to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is the son of Abraham. So I want to go through a small little list to compare and contrast those two men. So the rich young ruler says he, in Luke 18, we, don't have, we have no idea what the man's name is. Scripture does not tell us who he is. 
in chapter 19, we have the man's name, and his name is Zacchaeus. Um, they're both considered, um, the rich young rulers considered to be a religious leader, whereas Zacchaeus is a government leader. Um, and he is the chief of tax collectors. So he, here, here you have a Jewish man who has pretty much gotten in bed with the Roman government. And he has gone way up to the very top to become the head chief. As Paul says, I'm the chief of sinners. He is the chief of tax collecting. Um, the, the rich young ruler knows enough about Jesus to seek him out, and so does Zacchaeus. They both seek him out in different ways. Um, uh, the, the rich young ruler, he is a man of high moral standing in society. Uh, he has, you know, he tells us, hey, you know, I've, I've done good. Uh, I've kept the commandments. Um, he kind of toots his own horn. He has a little bit of self-righteousness going on. Uh, whereas uh, Zacchaeus is a man of low moral standing in society. He, um, you know, he is a dishonest worker. The rich young ruler was an honest worker. Uh, they're both wealth creators, uh, that they've created a great amount of financial wealth for themselves. They're both intellectually savvy. The uh, rich young ruler, um, you know, he calls Jesus good teacher. He, he, that's an that's intellectually savvy move to say, hey, you know, I, I think this guy's a good guy. I want to go and have a conversation with him. Um, Zacchaeus, you know, he's a short man. This is the one time where people don't have to listen to him. They don't have to pay him money. And the crowds are there, and they're like, hey, little Zacchaeus, don't let him see who this guy is coming. So what's he do? He goes down a ways to fight the crowd and climbs a tree. He humbles himself so he can see. Um, and he is a notorious sinner. So you have the self-righteous, uh, piousness of uh, the rich young ruler, and you have the notorious sinner of Zacchaeus. The text says nothing about the crowd um, in their silence and st probably because they're silenced and stunned by what Jesus says when Jesus tells the rich young ruler, you know, Zacchaeus, go sell everything, give it to the poor, then you'll have treasures in heaven, then come follow after me. Um, that's what Jesus told him to do. Jesus never told anybody else to do that in Scripture, but he did tell Zacchaeus to, or the rich young ruler to do that. Um, the crowd, it says in Luke 19, that they were very displeased and they started to grumble um, by Jesus wanting to be with Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus has a totally different response than the rich young ruler. Zacchaeus says, hey, I'm going to give away half my wealth. Think about that. Think about dividing your wealth in half, giving it all away, and then... The remainder, you're going to say, and anybody I've cheated, I'm going to get four times that amount. He was a very, very rich guy. Um, and, that's, and he gives the initiative. Zacchaeus does. The rich young ruler becomes very sad. Uh, Zacchaeus says he has great excitement and joy. Um, you know, they're both financially rich. And now Zacchaeus is becoming spiritually rich. Um, sadly, the, the rich young ruler, he receives no spiritual wealth, no treasure in heaven, no inheritance, no Christ in his heart, um, whereas Zacchaeus does receive a new spiritual wealth. Um, even though the rich young ruler 
is outwardly moral, he has been blinded by his own greed. He has been blinded by his own um, desire to keep his own position and status in life. Um, and even though Zacchaeus is outwardly immoral uh, and very greedy and a thief, he has had the humility to receive the grace of God to encounter the living Christ. Um, so they both end very differently. Uh, the rich young ruler, he was faithful and lawful. You know, I've, I've, I've done all these commands. I have kept your word. I have done everything. He really thought that he needed to just add one more thing to his life. And if he added one more thing, like adding one more stock position to his portfolio, then he might have eternal life. But the gospel is not something that we do. <laughs> it's something that is done to us uh, through Christ. It is not our self-righteousness, our works that saves us. Um, Zacchaeus, on the other hand, he was faithless and lawless. And he becomes faithful, graceful, and fruitful. Whereas the rich young ruler walks away faithless, graceless, and unfruitful. And so those are kind of a comparison and contrast of these two characters, both men with wealth. Um, I'm sure the rich young ruler probably still had a lot of friends and was still looked upon in society as a, uh, as a well person. And I'm sure Zacchaeus was probably still despised by a lot of people, or they probably couldn't believe his charitable actions uh, if he really has, had changed or repented. But that's just a, a little example, comparison between the two. Tim Keller says that ultimately it was not Zacchaeus who asked Jesus into his life, but Jesus who asked Zacchaeus into his God's salvation does not come in response to a changed life. A changed life comes in response to the salvation offered as a free gift. And this is really what the gospel is all about. Um, you know, greed is one of those things that we tend to think we see it in everybody except ourselves. Um, and we need to be humble. We need to say, okay, Lord, um, show us. Show us where we're greedy. Show us if we're even greedy with our small group because, you know, we kind of like it the way it is, and we don't want to really add more people. Um, the Scripture is also very clear that money and more money does not, never equates to more kingdom impact. And somehow in our day and age with a lot of uh, Christian ministries and churches, uh, we have bought into the lie that more money equals more impact for building the kingdom of God. Um, but there's no proof text in Scripture anywhere. Jesus never said, go and become fundraisers because the kingdom of heaven is dependent upon dollar bills um, and more dollar bills and more. Uh, he didn't do that. Uh, really, you know, if you look closely, the, the, the real currency of heaven is, is faith and love. Because anything that is uh, not done in faith is sin, and that which isn't done with love is, is wasted, as uh, Paul tells us in uh, Corinthians. 
Uh, you can give it all away, but if you don't have love in your heart, it's, it's a waste. John Piper, he, um, he had a great little point, I thought, and um, he said the problem is that we, we tend to, or it says right here, the root of all evil is that we are the kind of people who settle for the love of money instead of the love of God. And we end up replacing that. So greed comes in all kinds of forms. It can come, be greedy, as I said, with your time, with your toys, uh, with your position in life, with your power. Uh, it, can be, it can come... Um, and not wanting to share space or the remote control. could be your own thoughts. You're greedy about your thoughts. It's my way or the highway attitude. Um, you're not willing to humble yourself and, and, um, and yield your way to others. So greed uh, can, can manifest itself in many ways, and we are called to um, consider, give careful thought to our ways. And, you know, also I just want to say, even at the Church of Laodicea in Revelations, um, John writes, you know, um, you think you are rich and that you have everything in the world, but you really are poor and naked and blind and pitiful. And, and, and there again, that's what greed does. It blinds us. Um, Jesus in Matthew is very clear when he says, um, you know, don't worry about this stuff. Because your Father in Heaven knows what you need. And in between that passage and right before it, um, about uh, not uh, laying up treasures in Heaven, or not, or not laying up treasures on Earth, but in Heaven, um, he, he says, you know, there's, there's a light in you, and that light can be dark, and your eyes may not see well. And it's a strange text within that text, but the reason why they say it is because, here again, greed tends to blind those that are committing greed. So I just want to leave you all with the, th the, three, the three main thoughts are, you know, are we being selfish or are we sharing? Are we being self-exalting ourselves, or are we, being, are we exalting Christ? Um, and number three, are we is our identity in the things that we buy, the things that we own, the things that we pursue, or is our identity in Christ? Because the scripture is clear in Colossians, it says, put to death greed. So how do we put to death greed? How do we kill it? Um, well, scripture also says you need to set your mind on things that are above and not on things of this world. So if you find yourself daydreaming and fantasizing over the catalog that just came in the mail of all the things that you can buy that you don't really need, um, you might have an issue. Uh, you may need to say, don't send me those catalogs anymore. Um, but there's multiple ways. You can get friends, accountability friends, to say, look, I got problems, and I want you to hold me accountable. Uh, just because you're going to buy something doesn't mean you should. You should pray over your purchases and your expenditures. Practice generosity. Practice um, the grace of giving and, and be generous in that. And just ask the Lord. Say, Lord, show me my heart. It's, it's here for you. Show me the way I should go and lead me into the way of truth. So let us pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, um, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word speaks so much on money and wealth and greed, and at times greed 
um, comes in and we don't even know it. And I pray that we would put it to death, that we would kill it, that we would um, uh, seek you first and not the things of this world. Lord, forgive us of our sin of greed. Help us to live with open hands of generosity. May we be um, a man touched with your presence as Zacharias was. And may we be uh, a people known for being gracious, generous, and giving. This we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen.